You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. The award-winning crunch time for Honda's 2017 runout. Welcome back to Crunch Time for Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. Leon Cameron to join us shortly. But the coach, uh, the, his counterpart in the coach's box last night, of course, was the coach of the Cats, and uh, he'll have a big smile on his face, I'm sure, this morning after a comprehensive win this morning uh, last night. Thanks for your time, Chris. No worries, Hado. Thanks for having me. Take us into the week. I mean, obviously, you would have been bitterly disappointed with what happened in the last quarter, and it's always hard when you play such a, a poor quarter and it's so costly to know exactly how to deal with it. But how did you deal with it, and, and I guess more specifically, the players? Well, I think the most important thing was to be specific with certain parts of the game. It, it can be a um, mistake in, in our view to um, you know, lump a loss like that um, you know, into a... You know, a completely negative situation. I think the reality was that um, Sydney you know, only kicked one goal, which um, turned out to be a mistake in the score review in over a half a footy. So there were parts of, particularly our defensive performance last week, that was really strong. But we let ourselves down a little bit structurally and a little bit with our method, particularly in the centre bounces in the last quarter, and um, were overrun. So hopefully, we try to keep it in perspective, but not gloss over those key areas that we needed to improve in. And you know, it, it's, a, it, it's a bit of a rare situation for us in that um, in most of the players who were involved in some of our disappointing patches late in that game against Sydney were our um, well-credentialed, more experienced players. So they really steeled themselves to um, put in a, a consistent, strong performance. And it wasn't as if they played poorly last week. They just played poorly um, in specific patches. So how did they put that in place during the week to ensure those things didn't happen and, and attack the, last night's game? Yeah, it's not particularly romantic, but um, there are a few um, fundamental areas, particularly with our stoppages, um, that were glaringly obvious to them. You know, sometimes after a loss, the, the players and the coaches come in in the direct aftermath and are a little confused as to exactly why um, the team got what it got. Um, but this wasn't one of those situations. It was really clear, and, and even watching, you know, the vision. It didn't require much coaching, um, you know, because the players were were able to identify those things, and and, and just as importantly, um, be clear on the ways that they could rectify it in the next week. And they, they did that pretty clearly. Is there a, a, an element of anger that sort of, and just bitter disappointment that can drive, still drive modern footy? Or we always hear this: you've got to sort of react the same after a win or a loss and be calm about it. But you also hear players saying, I'm glad it's a short week. I just can't wait to get out there again. No, I think there's an element of that. Um, I just think it's a little overplayed at times. Um, you know, and I think it's it's a mistake when you put in a poor performance um, to say, well, it was just effort-based and we just didn't try hard enough. And when you have a w- 
you know, it's because the effort was there. I think it's much more complex than that. Um, and in some respects, it's, it's more simple than that. It's just more a method thing rather than a than an effort thing. So um, the, the players were clearly looking for the chance to get back out there and, and, and right the wrongs. I mean, you, you can't you can't ever um, you know take it back necessarily. But it was important that you know when you're making mistakes within within games and even within a season that you don't let it snowball because that momentum can be really difficult to arrest. You're so practical, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Hey, did you take the opportunity at all? How much coaching do you do of Paddy Dangerfield? Uh, quite a bit. Yep. Yeah, quite a bit. But um, there's also, I mean, the majority of it is making sure. And I think, I think this is coaching 101, personally. I'm, I'm not sure that everyone would agree with me, but I think particularly with your best players, um, it's about uh, maximising their strengths um, and, and then trying to mitigate their, their weaknesses if they have them, um, you know, through the team framework, and um, so you know, our role, particularly with with, with Paddy, let's let's find that specific example. It's about um, you know facilitating his performance. So you know, if there are things that he's not doing within the framework of the team, then we need to be really strong on that. Um, but for the most part, it's it's kind of letting him go because he can do some things that um, you know even the coaches um, you know would would find difficult to coach. You just kind of got to let your stars go to an extent. So how much are the elite players excused from the defensive side of the game? Not at all. Yep. No, not at all. But every player is an individual and um, you know, there, there's, not, there's not a player out there that's perfect on, on both sides of the ball. Um, but again, it's a matter of balancing um, you know, the strengths of those players um, you know, and also you know, mitigating the weaknesses. So if it becomes... Um, you know, a critical issue from the team, then it has to be arrested. But um, I think it's also it's some simplistic commentary that goes on around it when you look at isolated incidents and teams defend differently. So, you know, in, say, a Sydney style under Paul Ruse, he might look at the game and say, he hasn't got a man, he's not defending properly. Uh, and in the modern game, you know, that's not always the case. So I think you've just got to be a little bit careful of rushing to judgment on those things. Uh, Chris, Bob here. Uh, great win last night, and Jared took it down a path that I'm sure you wouldn't have liked to, to single out Paddy Dangerfield, but I wanted to highlight the depth of the side last night. Um, guys like Mitch Duncan and Blitzarves and Tom Stewart and Tim Kelly, you must have been wrapped with how they, they stood up and shared the load last night. Yeah, absolutely, Bob, and I think there are a few, other, um, in that, few others in that category as well. Jack Henry marked the ball really well and was looking solid as a defender. I mean, if you had have told us that He'd be holding down virtually a, a, um, a key defensive post um, last year. It certainly would have surprised us. Um, and, and yeah, there are Lockie Fogarty's in his first year and looking really solid. We've got Corey Gregson back from long-term injury, so um, you know often it can be difficult when you do um, have a, a lack of personnel. But the upside is that um, you get to blood some young players, and there's a fair chance that um, you know, if if we go far enough this year that you're going to need a broad list. One of the downsides of having great continuity is that if you do get a few injuries late in the season, you need to bring in players that haven't had the opportunity at the level. So um, I think it's going to be a really even year and, and clearly we're going to have to fight every week to, to get the wins. But if we can do that while also playing some of those young guys, it's yeah, really gratifying. 
Chris, I wanted to explore your defence a little bit. Uh, when we used to play Geelong, the, the defensive unit gave us nightmares. So Harley, Mackie and Enright and Scarlett and Bartell. Last night you took 28 intercept marks with the players you've mentioned, Stuart, Kolodjasny, Henry, Blixarves. When you speak about coaching, what's the balance between getting them to mark the ball and getting them to defend? Because it really stood out to me last night. Yeah, it's a debate that we have quite regularly. And we've got one of the best defenders of all time, Matthew Scarlett, probably throw Corey Enright into that group as well um, on, our, on our coaching staff. And um, you know, Scarlett in particular was a, a really attacking um, defender, um, at least least to most observers. But um, he will always say that you know, defending first is you know, the most critical part. And um, you know, again, I think it comes back to the individual strengths um, so we have have a few guys that back there that are really strong in the air, and we like them to back themselves. But I guess from a coaching perspective, you said you know go for it until you until you get outmarked a few times, and then you probably got to go back to the basics a bit more. But last night, I think it was um, you know it was good pressure up the field that meant that mm. GWS always weren't kicking it to their preferred position. Have you got a thought in the back of your mind of how you'll use Harry Taylor when he comes back? Yeah, we do, um, and I don't think it'll be complicated. I think he'll just slot back into his um, into his normal um, defensive post. I mean, he was injured round one, so we had a pretty clear plan for for him this season. The, the, the part that complicates it a bit is the Blitzard has gone back and played really well there. Jack Henry's there as well, and I mean, late last year we were using um, Jake Collajasny more in the midfield. Um, it was that was really our intention again this season so it was more out of necessity that he went back so yeah it, it's not so much that we're unsure about what to do with Harry we're just a little more unsure what to do with the others. Have you found Blitzar's spot now do you think then Chris? Well he thinks we have <laughs> he's, he's, he's pretty happy down there and I, I mean I would like it, it can be um, you know as, as Kane and even Bob for that matter would attest to playing in defence or playing defensive roles um, can be stressful you know, you, invariably you end up playing on really good players every week, um, and it is a strong mental challenge. Um, and so I'm, I'm pleased to hear that you know he's comfortable back there and he wants to do it because that speaks to um, some mental toughness in my view. Just taking you back to, to during the week, Chris, about the, the the players that were involved in the planning for the Giants. How does that practically play out? Were the, were the leaders in front of the group? Did they present with any of the opposition stuff? How did that sort of materialise? started pretty quickly after the game the, the senior players but we don't really spend too much time you know win lose or draw um, as a group post game we have the luxury of taking a few days to to digest it and we encourage the players to do the same thing but um again it was so obvious you know it was so painful on one level but it was also obvious um you know the issues that, that we had and that we needed to arrest so there were conversations post game and, and then the leadership group got together and um, you know, we, we tend to involve them in the planning two days post-game anyway for the upcoming game um, and, and and they took the opportunity so look we're really clear on what we need to do and, and this one's a little bit more on us than you know rather than you know any sort of sophisticated um, you know, coaching intervention so it, it, it flowed on out onto the grass over the next couple of days with the um, practical work um, on the ground and but as it always is, you know, it's one thing to talk about it and practice it. It's a completely different thing to execute. And we've got a high level of um, respect for the Giants midfield. I mean, they are a little scary when you think about the players that they can put out there, um, even 
with with the players they have unavailable. So um, it was still a pretty strong performance. Chris Scott, the Geelong coach, with us on Crunch Time. Chris, the profile of the team is so young. Five players with fewer than 10 games, five more with fewer than 50, and another three fewer than 100. Is How much was calculated and how much just crept up on you that half the side is extremely inexperienced that you put out there virtually every week? It's crept up on us a little bit, um, and for a few reasons. If, if we compare where we are now to, say, where we were four or five years ago, um, now we're absolutely picking um, our best team um, for each week. And it wasn't that we weren't doing that four or five years ago, but we had a really strong list management um, uh, requirement to, to get some younger players um, into the into the team. So if there was a you know, sort of a 50-50 decision, we had a bias towards the younger guys. But we're not so much in that position now. Um, guys like Tom Stewart, Tim Kelly, Lockie... Fogarty. I mean, they, they Asava Radigalia, they forced their way into our, our best team for round one this year when we had better availability. Um, but then we got a few injuries as well, and probably at times this year, not even in, in whole games, but just patches of games, I think we've just reached a critical mass of inexperience, which can lead to a bit of inconsistency. I know that's almost a cliche these days, but I think it is hard to refute when you've got a lot of young guys who haven't played much at the level and certainly haven't played together. You can get those, you know, that little lack of cohesion. So it's not necessarily by design, but if we can scrape through um, over the next couple of months and, and while we get some of our um, more senior players back, I think you know, we'll be killing two birds with one stone to an extent. How big is the bonus when... So you've got a player like Kelly who's routinely been in the votes and we had Jack Henry in the votes last night as when those inexperienced players actually force their way to being your best players. Yeah, I mean, we certainly didn't plan for it with Tim Kelly. I mean, our recruiters um, had a had a loose idea that um, with Stephen Motlop going out to Port Adelaide that Tim Kelly could be a similar sort of player for us and he was a little bit older perform well against men at waffle level and you know maybe he might be able to come in and have an impact straight away but I don't think anyone expected what we've got um, both in terms of his application and preparation and his, his execution game day and a little bit the same with um, Lockie Fogarty as well I mean he was he was our first pick in the draft but um, you know the genuine you know, 18 year old 17 18 year old not physically mature there were at least some question marks in my mind whether he was ready you know, to step straight in and play against men, but he hasn't shown any signs of um, immaturity. He's been really strong in the contest and um, has performed well. And, and again, like guys like Jack Henry, it's it's just, I guess, um, a reaffirmation for us that you, you shouldn't judge your players um, too much on, on VFL level. Some some guys, when they come up a level, they actually perform better. So, yeah, it's, it's not... In my experience, anyway, it's not uncommon for, for these guys to come in and, and surprise you. Are you worried about the Tom Hawkins scenario before the MRO now? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you always there's always concern, you know, until they say there's nothing to worry about. Um, but I think the process is is quite robust now. I mean, I was quite clear that last week that I just don't see any reason for umpires to lay match day reports, um, and I suspect that might be the case in this situation, although it's clear that Dean Margetts had the power to report Tom at the time if, if he felt it was warranted. So 
Um, I think that speaks a little bit to the way he interpreted the situation. I thought Tom's explanation was pretty good um, as well post-game. I mean, I'm clearly biased, but I do have the advantage of knowing Tom really well. You know, he's he's an honest guy, and I think he called it exactly as he saw it. So I, I imagine the process with Michael Krishna will be that he'll speak to the umpire and get his view and speak to a number of people. And if there's any doubt, they'll probably put it up for clarification. But um, I think I heard you say earlier, Jared, that it's it's not a bad process sometimes just to put it up, not even, you know, put too strong a case forward to say we definitely think this requires suspension, but just say maybe it requires a little bit more investigation. Because, I mean, contact with umpires are a serious, is a serious matter, and we, we shouldn't be flipping about it. But, um, you know, notwithstanding what some people would interpret from the vision, I, I trust Tom implicitly, and if he says he didn't deliberately do it, I believe him. Chris, thanks for your time and good luck for what's to come. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.